0: So as we always say, we appreciate the prayer on our behalf, and I indeed did today. I thought Craig very clearly stated our, our goal, my goal, and hopefully our goal, and he asked God to bless us as we look into His Word. Call our study today, Stay Out of the Ditch. We'll get to Luke 6 here momentarily, but I, I want to tell you a story to introduce our study. This is a story, it's probably 36 or 7 years old now. <clears throat> our 40 year old daughter Erica was with Mark and Patty at the time. She was four or five, three, somewhere in there. They were going out to our mother and dad's house. It's on a little over a mile and a half of dirt road. It had come in a substantial rain. And, of course, Mark turns off the highway and heads to the house and gets to going at a pretty good rate of speed, as he tends to do. At some point, Paddy decided that maybe they were going a little too fast and suggested that he slow down before they went in the ditch. And Mark said, Slowing down's the last thing you want to do when it's muddy. And as far as going in the ditch, that's no problem, and he whoops off into the ditch. And they drive down the ditch for, I don't know, a quarter of a mile or so, and they whoops it back into the road, and then they go on to the house. Well, my daughter said out of the mouths of babes, Uncle Mark, why don't you drive in the road like my daddy does? So I wanted to tell you that story, because I always enjoyed it, and uh, it worked out good. But I thought that Erica's question was a really good question. And when we think about that in contrast to what Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 6, I found that story amusing, but there's nothing amusing about this warning that Jesus gives us here. It's a very stern warning. And He says He spoke a parable to them, Can the light blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So when we start to think and consider the spiritual journey that we're on, staying out of the ditch is really important. Because unlike that ditch on the road to Mother and Daddy's house, it's not easy to get out of. And when we fall in that ditch, there's eternal consequences. And sometimes we can't get out of it. And so when Jesus talks about that, and He uses that illustration here, He's talking about who we choose to follow. And we all follow somebody. It's just our nature. And we have a need. And so we're going to follow somebody. And the admonition that Jesus gives us here is to not follow somebody that's blind. So I want to consider that today, and there's different aspects of that that we want to think about. But I want to go to Matthew 7 now, and we're familiar with this statement Jesus makes about the journey that we're on and the road. And He describes the road. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. It's a narrow road we're on. He says, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, that way is easy. You can get on that road, and you can just weave everywhere, you can pull your phone out and text, and you can do whatever you want to on that road, because it do not matter. You're going to end up at the same place. But if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be on this narrow road. And you've got to keep your hands on the wheel, and like Brother Cain taught us last week, you've got to be focused. You've got to pay attention to what you're doing. Or you won't stay on the road. It's narrow. He says it's difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy to find the road, and it's not easy to stay on the road. It's difficult. It takes work. And we've got to follow the right guy. Patty and Erica didn't have any choice that day they were with Mark. They they were stuck with his leadership and his driving. We have a choice. We we have a choice. Who we choose to follow. So that's what I want us to think about today. Because if we'll follow the right guy, he'll keep us out of the ditch. So there's different kinds of people we can follow. They're not all bad. So here in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul gives this admonition to the church at Corinth. They were people followers, just like we all are. He says, "'I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. They were having fights. Things were not smooth here. Why? Why? I say this, that each of you says, I, have, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. So they were men followers. And every one of these men were good men. And we know about Paul, and we know about Peter, right? We certainly know about Christ. But Apollos was a good guy too. But his question here about what they were doing, is Christ divided? No. Obviously, the answer is obvious. Christ is not divided. And the admonition He's giving is obvious. We shouldn't be following men. I don't care how good they are. We don't follow men. Were you baptized in the name of Paul, he says? I hope not. Matthew 18 and verse 24, we have this about Apollos. It says he was a, a certain Jew named pa- Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures. An eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures that's the kind of guy we ought to follow, right? No. Those kind of men are a blessing to us. And we're thankful that we know some men like that. But that is not the guy to follow. I don't care how much he knows about Scripture, and I don't care how eloquent he is, he's not the guy to follow. You know, Paul goes on to say here in 1 Corinthians chapter three, who then is Paul and who is who is then Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. Do you remember who baptized you? I suspect everybody here that's been baptized remembers that person. And that's good. But what are they? They're ministers through whom we believe at best. Sometimes it might have been our parent, might have been a preacher, might have been an elder in the church, or some other important person in our life. But they're only a minister of what? Of God's Word. We need to honor that. We need to respect that. But we don't need to follow them. They're flawed. I don't care who it was. They're flawed. And that was the problem with Paul and Apollos and Peter. They were flawed too. Then we have another group of people. Jude 16 talks about these guys. He says they're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. But notice they and they mouth great swelling words. Flattering people to gain advantage. Now, we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest on this one because we're susceptible to flattery. Somebody flatters us, we tend to respond to that. So we got to be cautious. Now this guy, their intent is bad. Over there in 1 Corinthians, Paul and Apollos and Cephas, I don't know that they had any intent of trying to create a following and try to get anybody to follow them. That, that wasn't their intent, it was just happening. Here, there's wicked intent. And the warning for you and I is to be, not be susceptible to flattery. In Second Peter 2, Peter says this, that same Cephas, this is who Paul was talking about, that there were people following Peter. Notice what he says here. There were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. It's a true statement. I hope it's not me. My goal, my intent, is to always tell you the truth. but you better check it out. Don't take my word for it. That's the warning. How else are we going to know? I hope you like me, but do not follow me. This group, he says, are going to be secretive, deceitful, They're going to bring in destructive heresies, he says. And if we're not paying attention, we do not even know it, because it's going to sound really good. Happens all the time. Many will follow their destructive ways, he says, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed, By covetousness, he says, they will exploit you. With deceptive words, for a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. God will take care of this. But the job for you and I is to make sure we're not on either side of this. We certainly don't want to be the one deceiving But we also don't want to be deceived, because this right here is the blind leading the blind into the ditch. He goes on to say here in in verse 15, "...they have forsaken their right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness." We need to recognize when a person loves the wages of unrighteousness. Go read the story about Balaam. He had a following. But he had forsaken the right way, and he misled people or led people into the ditch. Second Corinthians 11 The Apostle Paul says this, but I fear. He was afraid for them. He was afraid for them. Lest somehow, somehow, he loved these people, he loved their soul. He wanted them to get to heaven, but he was afraid. He was afraid that they would be deceived. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, she put it out there. He put it out there in front of Eve. And she was deceived. Because he was crafty. He didn't tell her the truth. He was crafty so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I want you to remember that phrase. I want you to remember that phrase, because it's going to come back in our study. The simplicity that is in Christ. He was concerned that their mind would be corrupted, from the simplicity that was in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different Spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. <laughs> Are we paying attention? Somebody tells us what we want to hear. Somebody tells us something that sounds good, and we put up with it. We let it in. We let it in our mind, and we believe it. And we're deceived, just like Eve. Just like that. That's the warning. And it's what happens to us when we start following men. Verse 13 and 15 through 15 here, he says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So that's the tool. That's the tool Satan has. He don't have any power over you. He don't have any power over your mind. He can't make you do anything. But he can lie to you. And he can deceive you if you let him. And he can will and has transformed himself into an angel of light. And there's a lot of different ways that he does that. But I want to spend a little time looking at one specific way. Because I think we have a threat that comes from our desire to read. and I I hope you don't leave today thinking that I'm opposed to people reading books. I am not. But I do want to sound a warning that we be careful, because there's a lot of people being deceived because of what they read. Now, we know Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes 12 that there's no end to the writing of books, and that is a true statement. I don't even know that that's necessarily a negative statement about books. But it is a true statement. To this day, there are books being written. In Revelation 20 and verse 12, I want you to remember this also about books. It says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And we're going to look at some specific books here momentarily, but I want to ask you, what books do you think are going to be opened here? Reckon this one will be there? Uh, I think it probably will because Jesus said, My word will judge you. What about the book of life? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably one of the books because he says it is. But I want to tell you, folks. The books written by men are not going to be there. And they're not what's going to be open, and they're not what we're going to be judged by. We're going to be judged according to their works and by the things which are written in the books. The books God's keeping. So I want to look at some of those. Now keep in mind the things that we've already looked at. And this one I, I think is pretty easy, personally. Because when you lay this up next to God's Word, it, it it's easy to see the problem. But that's not easy for some people. We know John Calvin was... a. Reformer, Uh, he he took on a tough job here. He took on the powers that be. And he he wrote this book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He, He started, I believe, writing this book in 1536, and he continued over a number of years. Now, the result of that book is what we call the tulip. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but it's in reference to these five things. And these are the five conclusions that John Calvin came to. The first one is total depravity. Basically, his conclusion was that every human is completely sinful from the moment of birth. Is that true? well what we've got to do is we got to lay that alongside scripture and judge it it's that's not the truth folks we're not born in sin that's not what god's word teaches we're born innocent I'm not going to lay all the Scripture out in front of you. If you need me to do that today, I want you to ask me after service to do that. I said a while ago, I don't want you to take my word for anything. But I want to lay this alongside Scripture. If we're going to read John Calvin's book, and we're going to give it any value, we've got to lay what he has written alongside Scripture and identify whether or not these things are true. The second one is unconditional election, and a limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And I want to tell you why these things are important today. These things are the very definition of very much of the doctrine of the most denominations. That's what they teach for doctrine. Is what John Calvin wrote. And that's why it matters. And that's why I'm putting that in front of you today. To make the point that we've got to put what people have written alongside Scripture and judge it on that basis. And when we do that, there's none of these things that hold up. None of them. Then along comes Joseph Smith in 1830. He wrote the Book of Mormon. And again, this this one is quite simple to refute because the whole basis of this book is that Joseph Smith met up with an angel by the name of Moroni, and he told him what to put in the Book of Mormon. Well, all you've got to do is go to Galatians where he very plainly says, even if an angel from heaven tells you something different. I haven't read the Book of Mormon. I, I have no idea what's in that thing. But if you're going to read it, you need to lay it alongside God's Word. And that's what people are not doing. Because Joseph Smith said, this is a new revelation. And people don't know what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians. And so they buy into the new revelation. You know, this, he was 24 years old when he wrote this book. <laughs> He's, that's pretty sharp. Pretty sharp guy to come up with a book when you're twenty-four years old. And notice what this says, he was an American religious leader. He founded Mormonism and the Latter-day Saint movement, and he wrote this book when he was twenty-four, or published it. By the time of his death, fourteen years later, he had attracted tens of thousands of followers, and founded a religion that continues to the present with millions of global adherents. The blind following the blind into the ditch. And it's all because he wrote a book. People read the book and think, man, that sounds pretty good. Charles Darwin wrote a book, 1859, on the origin of species. I don't even know I'd I'd done any research. I don't even know that he had any kind of religious thing in mind when he. I, I don't have any idea what he had in mind. But he created havoc in our world. Because this millions-of-years thing that he started is everywhere. I think I've told this story before, but we, and it's been a long time. We went to Carlsbad Caverns. And part of the park ranger's spill was how the caverns were created. It's that right there, over millions of years. When you look at Scripture, you lay Scripture alongside this book, and the answer to the questions where Bad Caverns came from is God created it. That's where it came from. Remember the simplicity that is in Christ? That is not simple, trust me. But when you read God's Word, the answers to a bunch of these questions are simple. God created it. Or what about the dinosaurs? Where did all them bones come go? God created it! Sorry. It is simple. And the, what He did and what He started is created this monstrous thing that everybody believes that makes no sense. When given enough time and accumulated changes, natural selection can create entirely new species, a process known as macroevolution. According to Derek Turner and Joyce C. Hofstad, in The Philosophy of Macroevolution, this long-term process is what turned dinosaurs into birds, Amphibious mammals, such as an animal called, and I I, I didn't practice this enough because I can't say that one, into whales and common ancestor of apes and humans into people. The simplicity that is in Christ. You, You didn't come from an ape. You didn't. I. And when people reference this millions of years thing, that that's what they're referencing. And, we, and as a culture, we just bought it. And it's just taken for granted. And it's all because Charles Darwin decided to write a book. And people don't take his book and let it along the truth and say, you know what, that really don't fit. Because God's an author too. He is. We read this verse, I I guess, probably more than any verse in Scripture. But God's the author. And we know what John John 14 says. I, I, I bet every single one of us could nearly quote this verbatim. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, He says. Here's the truth. And everything else, I don't care how good it is, written by people is flawed. You know, Van talked a couple of weeks ago about the truth. And one of his important points is it's the truth. And there's not multiple truths, there's one. So I want to ask a question about that. If God and Scripture. Is is As I believe that's the truth, can there be any truth outside of that? Can there be any truth outside of Scripture? Well, I think we have an answer for that in Acts 17. The Apostle Paul is talking here to a group of people that... I, I think we would call them pagans or idol worshipers. And I want you to notice what he says to them. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow up for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. He's really not, by the way. (laughs) For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. So these poets, whoever they were, these idol worshippers, poets, had stumbled onto some truth. So, I think that's the answer to my question. I think there can be truth outside of Scripture. But if is, there is truth out there, that doesn't change the fact that it's in Scripture. So, Jared quoted C.S. Lewis a few Wednesday nights back, I I liked the quote. I thought it, it fit the point Jared was making. I like C.S. Lewis. And I'm not comparing C.S. Lewis to Charles Darwin or any of them other guys we've talked about. That's not my point. My point is real simple. I think C.S. Lewis identified some truth. I have not read mere Christianity. I've heard lots of people quote it and talk about it. But my point is, is if there's truth in mere Christianity, it's founded in Scripture as well. This is what one review of his life, really, says Lewis is also regarded by many as one of the most influential Christian apologists of his time. In addition to his career as an English professor (coughs) and an author of fiction, Mere Christianity was voted best book of the 20th century by Christianity Today in the year 2000. He has been called the apostle to the skeptics due to his approach to religious belief as a skeptic and his following conversion. He, he was raised in Christianity. He became a skeptic, went through a period in his life where he really didn't even know if God existed, but then he began to examine evidence, and he became this guy. My point is real simple. If you want to read mere Christianity, I think that's great. But you lay what he says alongside Scripture and you test it. And don't follow C.S. Lewis because he's flawed. Now we come to Jordan Peterson. He's He's a current guy don't know if you've ever heard of him of all the people i've talked about he's the one that i actually have i haven't read this book i did look at his 12 rules and i've listened to several of his podcasts and i found him to be interesting that's a personal opinion But I want you to consider, if you you know anything about Jordan Peterson, if you know anything about these twelve rules for life, and the fact that he claims that this is an antidote to chaos, let's assume he's completely accurate. You know where all that came from? If he has an antidote to chaos, it came from this right here. And the problem with Jordan Peterson is he don't give God the credit. He's he's kind of I don't know I can't figure out what he is, but he's pretty wishy-washy on Christianity. So again, if you want to read Jordan Peterson's book. Just be sure you measure it by the right yardstick. And my point today is, it it don't matter what you read. Obviously, I don't want you reading vile, wicked stuff. Don't put that in your mind. Just don't. But if you're looking for entertaining things to read measure it by the right rule. The truth. The truth. I, I have racked my brain to remember what Stanley said last Sunday night about the attitude that we develop about Scripture. But I, I can't remember what he called it. But it's basically, we're bored with it. We're bored with the best author ever! And we're bored with it. I want to go through these quickly. We know what these Scriptures say. I know you know. But I want to remind you in the context of what we've talked about today. We're following Jesus. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's why we follow Jesus. That's where the light is. What does the light do? It shows us the way. Remember, we're on this narrow path. Sometimes this path difficult, Sometimes this difficult path we're on is dark. Things are not that clear to us. Where where do we get light? Please don't go to Jordan Peterson to get your light. There's the light. John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You abide in His Word. That's where your mind is. Romans 16, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses. Now I'm just going to, Interject my idea in here. Be careful what you read. Pay attention to what you're reading. Because if they're contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, you need to avoid it. You need to avoid it. Notice I didn't tell you I thought you it was okay to read the Book of Mormon. I, I, don't, I think that's a terrible idea for that reason right there. I want to be fair, but there's things that we just don't need to put in our head. It's not going to help us. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Remember, Paul said, You weren't baptized in my name. Paul didn't suffer for us, he suffered for Jesus, but he didn't suffer for us. Jesus did. Leave it to us an example that you should follow His steps. John 4 and 1, I've, I've been saying this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. This is the test. We lay it alongside the truth. Does it pass or fail? Or are we just going to go with what sounds good to us? Or are we just going to go with what flatters us? What makes us feel good? What aligns with my thinking? Or are we going to test it? Revelation 2 and verse 2, he he had a lot of negative things to say to these folks, but he did say this, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that ye cannot bear those who are evil. What what did they do? You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. They tested it. Finally, Romans 12 and verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We put their good stuff in it and it'll change us. That's what'll change us. And if Jordan Peterson's twelve rules are true, they come from Scripture, and Scripture's what'll change us. We need to fill our mind with Scripture. That's going to change us. Let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. That's my message today. never want to close without offering an invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. The church is here to serve. If you have a spiritual need, we we want to help you with that today. If you need to be baptized and and obey the gospel, there's nothing more important that you can do. If you need to do that today, we want to help you with that. If we can pray with you or for you with a spiritual problem you've got, we want to do that as well. Please come and and make your need known as we stand and sing the invitation song.